We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Everton nil, Newcastle 2 in a frankly bizarre and from nowhere performance that has cheered up. I'm sure everyone listening, certainly uh, the four of us today on, on your podcast, which is Alex Hurst, Charlotte Robson, Chris Shipman and Norman Riley. I want to get right into this performance, this fantastic, lovely performance. Three brilliant points, which were much needed and really could potentially be a game changer for the season. Time will tell on that front. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about the the big factors. We're gonna talk about Callum Wilson. We're gonna talk about Graham Jones and his impact. And we're gonna talk about just a completely different Newcastle United to pretty much, I would argue, anything we've seen under this manager since he's been here in the sixty odd league games that he's had. Norman, uh, how different was it, and why? First thing I'll say is that performance yesterday, as an away performance in the Premier League, was was absolutely faultless. It was a faultless away performance. We dominated the proceedings. Everton had more of the ball. It didn't matter. We were completely and utterly in control that game from the first moment. First thing I noticed was snapping into tackles. You had in the sort of first 10 minutes, I think Lascelles got a yellow card. And that came after this almost the same kind of Everton attack. You had a Charleston moving up the left-hand side of the pitch. Shelby tried to go through, niggled him. Then Lascelles went through him. Already picked up a yellow card. Doesn't matter. Completely rinses his Charleston's concentration the first couple of minutes. Obviously, we saw examples of that throughout the game, snapping it in the tackles. One player in particular we know was targeted. I think Chris might mention that. Um, in terms of the actual tactics themselves, playing four at the back was the right, completely the right thing to do, especially against Everton, who do, although they kind of have three front men, they, they do kind of drift into a, into a 4-4-2. So it worked out, it worked out well against that. Manquillo was absolutely 100% the right selection. Um, and I thought Lewis... Again, this was an opportunity for him to come up against uh, a player in Iwobi, who is a good player, but will allow you the space as a fullback to to get up and get up and down the line. And obviously, we saw that from Lewis, so that was that was a good selection. Um, I think the fact that I've already mentioned Hayden Hayden was a huge difference for me because if you look at that event in midfield, they made a mistake. But I think by not playing Tom Davies, Alan was missing, right? So they didn't have that that player who can kind of box the box for them and they brought in and they had in kind of Sigurdsson and I think that was a mistake and, and, and that just made it, it almost made it kind of easy for Hayden, he just completely cleaned up everything, he, he was he was fantastic um, I could go on about the tactics but what I'll do is I'll focus on a couple of specifics that were really important, the pressing oh my god, the pressing was absolutely superb, I, I can't recall any time under Bruce where I've seen pressing of that consistency and that kind of 
Um, like, with, with such attacking intent, I can't recall it. We were pressing really high up the pitch. And one particular example is, let, let's go in a bit, it's, it's the first goal. That goal came from us pressing the extent where we were basically in their 30-yard area, press for a throw. Wilson wins a throw, I think, of, um, of Dina, perhaps. We take the throw, right? We advance with the throw. We win another throw from that, right? Through pressing. We advance with that. Henrik wins a corner. We score from the corner. Three instances of pressing within the space of, what, 30 seconds and just hassling them and hassling them and advancing, advancing, and then scoring. Absolutely brilliant. And what the pressing also did was is it gave us 12 corners. Do you know the most corners we had in one match this season is seven, right? We had against Man United at home. We had no corners. I couldn't go through every single game last season to find out if 12 corners was the record under Steve Bruce. And I don't even recall having that many under Rafa in the Premier League. And if you look at Newcastle United from corners, right, last season, we had the lowest amount of corners in the Premier League, right? Nine less than Norwich City, who was second bottom. But before the lockdown, we actually had the highest corners to goal success rate in the whole league. So what that tells me is, is that actually we're very, very good at scoring goals from corners. So what we what that means you've got players such as Wilson, such as our centre-halves, who can cause real damage in the opposition's box. So by pressing, by getting corners, by being good at actually doing things with corners, we score goals, and that's what you saw. So everything that I saw yesterday, I mean, every single aspect of that game yesterday was positive, and that is what we need to take into Palace and Southampton because they are two very, very winnable games playing in this way. Totally agree, mate. You, you, you're spot on with everything you say. I think there's a lot of Newcastle fans will be surprised by that corner stat. I, I did uh, have to laugh after celebrating the first goal that would scored from a floated corner. Must be the first floated corner scored in the history of the Premier League, but it worked. And why? I mean, Everton were playing some sort of mad zonal marking. Um, they had Richarlison on Callum Wilson. There's only one winner, isn't there? <clears throat> um, what, what, what interested me there about, you said the back four, was the right way to go. Well, it was absolutely the right way to go. And it's not just because I bang on about it regularly. People who follow me on Twitter know I love posting me stats after an, yet another winless game or a defeat with the back five. And what impressed me, and we're going to, Chris is going to come on to this in a bit, so I'll not go too much into it. But after, you know, we beat Everton earlier this season playing a back five. Everton, in my head, would be Bruce's one of, oh, right, yeah, they're seventh or something, but they've got two games in hand. And if they win both of those, they'll go third. And if they beat us, they'll go second with those two games in hand. Get, get in here. Get a point. Usual capitulation. Roll over and die. We've got Palace and Southampton at home. We might get something from them. And what we saw was the complete opposite of that. We saw a team go there to win the game. And, you know, if, if I look at performances under Steve Bruce in his whole time here, I can't think of it. Forget about an away performance. I can't think of a better performance than that in every position across the pitch. And it wasn't just that we won that game. We, we, we should have won that game by more. It was it was us, not them, who I feel will will look at the balance of play and think they got away with it a bit. You know, Callum, Callum Wilson rounds Pickford, hits the post, very unlucky. Uh, Pickford touches one under the crossbar. There's a couple of other really good situations I'm thinking about. Um, Isaac Hayden in the first half, like you say, fantastic high press. What have we been saying for a long time on the True Faith podcast? Get Isaac Hayden in midfield, make him press the ball in the opponent's half of the pitch. He panics players. He's so um, precise in the tackle that he can really put players under pressure. And you saw that, and, and it was a really good opportunity created from that, but that, that didn't come off. I just thought I just thought it was the complete performance, and I'm still in shock. I'm still in shock, Norman. Um, you want to talk about the distance covered by players as well, which is great to see. I saw Charlotte's just meant put Army around there. I was going to talk about Mickey because he's he covered the most distance yesterday than any other player on the field, which isn't a surprise because Miguel Armiron, regardless of the fact that he's being played out of position, 
probably on at least 30 occasions since Bruce took over. It's never stopped the amount of running that he puts in. I mean, he is an absolute machine when it comes to running. He tackles, he tracks back. He, he, give, he almost gives you everything that you that you want to see in, in a player who is not necessarily utilising the way that he should be. You know, he could be put in a, in a position where he shouldn't be playing and he could just think, why why bother? Like, this is ridiculous. But he doesn't, he always gives it. And yesterday, what we saw was him being played in his proper position, given everything, but also being incredibly effective offensively because that's what he can do. Um, Jamal Lewis, I'm sure we'll talk about him in terms of what he gave in the game yesterday, but his running yesterday was spectacular. Um, four Newcastle players were in the top five of most distance covered on the pitch yesterday. Jamal Lewis being one of them, Miguel Almiron, Isaac Hayden, I believe. And the other one who I will, I'm going to praise him, Jeff Hendrick, right? Now, again, during the match yesterday, and this is the thing, right? This whole season, we've probably messaged in our WhatsApp group on 20 occasions, I forgot Jeff Hendrick was playing, right? Now, this is the difference between being at a match and watching it on TV. If you're at a match and you're seeing the whole pitch, you're seeing what a player's doing when they're not on the ball a lot more. So, Hendrick, regardless of the fact that he hasn't offered anything, as we've, as we've seen, you know, we say, what's he offering? What's he offering? What yesterday, what he did was, right, if we'd been in the stadium, we would have seen the amount of running that he put in. And what that running does is it just closes down space because Everton have got a really mobile midfield and attack. So if you've got Hendrik buzzing around left, right and centre, he's just closing space. He's stopping runs. We're not seeing this on camera. So I look at those stats and I think, all right, this player has run over 9K. He's the second um, top uh, top in terms of kilometers he's covered during the game. He's obviously done something that's contributed to a 2-0 win. So what I'm thinking is if I'm in the stadium, I'm seeing him running around. I'm seeing him just consistently closing down space. And obviously what we saw as well was that first goal, the corner, it came from Hendrik Presson, right? So just I just wanted to give him some praise because obviously we've slated him. And, you know, and, and we could say rightly so. But yesterday, I, I think there were obviously there was obviously something in him being played in that position, being told to do the job he did. He clearly did the job very well. Yeah, and and, and I, I think it's a really interesting point about the lads who who covered all that ground because it and this is one something I want to bring you on, and Chris, do, does it actually raise um, as many questions yesterday performance as it produced answers? Because the players you've just mentioned, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that they'll run all day that they are capable of pressing the opposition. You know, like Callum Wilson, we've seen already ready this season, willing to lead the line. Charlotte's going to talk about him a bit more later, but you know, Miguel Almiron, Jamal Lewis. Uh, Hendrick, Hayden, you throw Yedlin in there, throw Matty Longstaff in there, throw Sean Longstaff in there even. We have got players that have got engines on them and that we already know from, from both spells under this manager and the previous manager are willing to put everything in for that black and white shirt. So it does lead to the question, why have they been asked to set up like this passive, awful version of a football team that simply, up until yesterday for many games, allowed the opposition to completely dominate territory, to, to play play the ball wherever they wanted to play the ball without as much as a tackle going in. So, Chris, you know, the, the, the question on the lips of many fans on social media in particular anyway is, was this a win? Was this a triumph of new coaching under Graham Jones or do you think it's not as simple as that? I think they've definitely put down a marker, to use a cliche phrase. Um, the question, as you say, is why that marker wasn't put down 19, 20 games ago. Why have we waited until, you know, after halfway through the season to do that? Um, there's been a lot of discussion, obviously, on social, and we've all uh, gotten involved in it over the last few days uh, of Graham Jones. And um, I think Charlotte mentioned on a podcast in the week uh, for patrons that it was interesting to see how the club announced Jones with this kind of really lavish um eight minute nine minute video interview with him the kind of stuff that you never get with coaching staff that you get for 
signing of, of first team new quality players, um, which which is really interesting. And there has been some discussion and conjecture about whether this is something that was Steve Bruce's idea and certain journalists in the media are saying that it was his idea and that he brought him in. Uh, and then the kind of opposing view that it was something that was enforced on him from above. I, I don't know if I'll necessarily know the answer to that. I think what we can say for sure is that Steve Bruce is taking this and running with it. And this sense of him owning that uh, is something that he, he's going with. Um, so it's really stark that obviously we, we put in a great performance, what, 72 hours after we get a new coach. Realistically, it's probably going to be a degree more complex than it being the Graham Jones factor. Um, I think there was a discussion that he'd had one training session so far. Realistically, even with Premier League players, how much influence are you going to have after one training session? However, I think what might have occurred uh, and given the kind of nature of these players, I think the the knowledge that a new coach was coming in and that there was a do we needed to shake things up uh, and that we are realistically in a relegation battle. I think it's a mixture of possibly a little bit of new methods, but more realistically, a, a switch in the players' mindsets um, caused by this new coach coming in. And, you know, just discussed the, the kind of huge shift that we saw through the game. I think one thing that was really noticeable was that kind of more bite into tackles and hammers uh, being being targeted as well as Calvert-Lewin to a degree as well. That's something that we haven't seen previously from the squad for years. We've complained that they're a little bit too meek and I think justifiably so. I think finally we've seen that kind of bite. But yeah, it does put down a bit of a, a marker. I think it'll take a few more games to see whether it is the Graham Jones effect, and ho hopefully we'll see that this is, you know, a, a sustained uh, improvement and not just a kind of uh, hesitate to use the phrase "dead cat bounce," but you know, a blip, a positive blip, but a blip. So, I think I'll kind of reserve judgment on Jones, but in any case, whatever has happened, a really positive result, and hopefully, long may it continue. Yeah, I was trying to. Um be realistic about what impact Jones could really have made in that um, short time that he's been here. He was only announced on Wednesday, I think, and or Thursday maybe even, and um, apparently took a training session or was at a training session on Friday. What really, how, how much impact can one person make in, in that time? Um, it seems to me that our excellent performance yesterday was a combination of many things, but as Chris um, in my opinion, rightly touched on there. I think the ways in which Jones may have impacted the game, and I might be wrong, I might be attributing this to him when it's not him, but the targeting of other players, in particular Hammers, in a way that I don't think we've done before, we've really like examined the opposition's game and and looked at where we really need to, to, to be on the pitch. I, I don't personally think we've, done a lot of that um or we haven't shown that we've done a lot of that in our um games up till now so so it was really nice to see that and and that's where i think perhaps his um influence is going to be is is um but again i i'm just i'm looking i'm trying to be realistic he's not he's not the the whole sole reason we won yesterday and we played really well yesterday but there is probably a mindset shift there's probably a bit more confidence there's probably a bit more positivity in the training ground because you know um somebody's fr fresh ideas and and new ideas that 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 has to be the case but um 
but yes, I, I thought it was really interesting how um, how we reacted to their game in a way that I I don't think we have much up to now. I think that his influence was obvious yesterday in the respect of you watch him on the sidelines and Rookie's only been there for 72 hours. But if you recall Rafa coming in, right, and I'm not obviously comparing the two because that's ridiculous, but what I'm saying is, is the impact that one person can have in a very short space of time. Rafa came in and you immediately saw when he took over from McLaren in that game against Leicester, even though we lost, right, immediately from the sidelines, the mate we're managing, talking, constantly talking to players throughout the game. Those players haven't had that for 80 months under Bruce. They've had somebody shouting encouragement from the sidelines, get up the line, hide up top, right? There hasn't been any kind of forensic tactical input. Now, Jones, was you could see he was doing that yesterday. He would have been doing that in the warm-up before the match. He would have been doing that in the tiny amount of time he's had on the training ground. So those tiny little things, even though it's only 72 hours, even though it doesn't seem like much, in terms of how that um, impact on a player can be huge. You know, imagine if you're Jamal Lewis on the sidelines and all you're getting is, run him and do in the line, Jamal. That's all you're getting in our game, right? All of a sudden, you've got somebody there telling you, you need to be in that space. You need to make this room. You need to pass the ball there. You need to do that. Like, if that might be managing. And that, to me, is probably what happened yesterday. Again, it's speculation, but... All I can do is look at Jones's career history. This is a bloke who went to the World Cup with Roberto Martinez, his assistant manager. He's managed, he's, he's coached, coached, not managed, very, very, very good players. So he obviously knows how to communicate with very highly talented players. So my kind of speculative opinion is, is that yesterday, yes, he's only been there a short amount of time, but the difference is, is quite obvious. And I mean, let's let's see if it continues, but that's how I interpret it in any ways. I think the other element of it, that pressing is another way to see pressing uh, is is defending from the front. And we saw that the, the forwards were pressing. I think something that, and this is pure speculation, but I think potentially it's interesting. Graham Jones, as a player, albeit not at a hugely high level, um, was a forward. If we look at the coaching setup that we had until midweek, the vast proportion of them, I believe, were either defenders or a goalkeeper. So I think maybe just that experience of uh, a player that is more uh, further forward in the lineup might have kind of given a bit of an indicator, a bit more dynamic uh, thinking there. I think, and and I agree broadly with everything that's been said. I think a key part of yesterday's still in my head, like laughably ridiculous victory, is that he picked the right team. It, it, it cannot be said enough how important it was. First of all, to pick a, a formation that allowed you to pick the players who play in their positions. I know it's, it's madness, it's some sort of witchcraft, but picking Isaac Hayden in midfield worked. Picking Ryan Fraser and Miguel and Moron in, in positions that they can affect the game inside and out, you know, in terms of a 4 5 1 or a 4 4 1 1, but that also an attack turned into a genuine 4 3 3 or even a 4 like. A four-one-three-one because Shelby got forward a lot more. That, yeah, I mean, Norman's just put uh, put a humorous comment in our private chat here. Um, I was just about to say, like, not picking Andy Carroll, not picking Joe Linton, automatically has a has a has a positive impact on the rest of the players, and that's harsh on Carroll because Joe Linton's been so bad. But I was going to say, Joe Linton needs to be the fourth the fourth choice striker at Newcastle. That's how it needs to be for him now on. If he's behind Wilson, Carroll and Gale, then it's up to him to move up that pecking order. And then if he gets it, we're out of the Cups, obviously. But if we get injuries or we get, we get the game, he gets a game, you know, then it's based on merit. It's not based on 
Uh, I'm going to throw a load of players at this game because we got beat three 0 last week, and I'm going to drop everyone. It needs to there needs to be some thought process, and the, the most promising thing because you might be listening to this thinking, "Well, fucking hell, it was one game. We're shite. Bruce is shite." And I think you'd be well within your rights to say that because I think you know that's that's the majority of Lonnie Castle fans. But what this game does that other games before it haven't, it means that I'm looking forward to the game on Palace on Tuesday. I'm, I I want to see us play like that again. And, and you know, if we get beat, if we get beat two one, we might even lose a game playing well, or we might draw a game that we deserve to win. But under Bruce so far, what we've seen consistently is a team that has underperformed in every department and anything that it has taken from games tends to be undeserved. So even when you go and shithouse Sheffield United 2-0 in December, or even if you go to Spurs and get a ridiculous point at the start of the season, we all know, certainly I felt, there's nothing to build on there. It's like, what, try and get lucky again. Try and, you know, try and go to Spurs and let Son and Harry Kane hit the post and Carl Dollar make nine saves. Not enjoyable, but what we saw the other night, and it's going to be harder, by the way, against Palace on Tuesday. And of course, we will have a full match preview for patrons on our Patreon platform for the Palace game. Is you know, it was it's fine going away from home, even though there were spells in that game where we we, we actually pressured Everton consistently against something we haven't done at Bruce. But still, it's easier to press and, and stuff like that because Everton had most of the ball. They had large spells of possession, which is all right. You know, Newcastle fans often criticised for these things, but that's all right. I think everyone can get behind that performance yesterday. It is harder to do when you've got more of the ball. It's harder to kind of be all action. It's harder to to impress as much in terms of your running because you're going to need something more than that. But that's that's the next problem. And if they fail to reach that challenge, well, then we're back at square one. But what I was so impressed about was for the first time almost under him, I felt like he picked the best team. Ryan Fraser is in there and... I thought it was excellent. I thought he was brilliant. Um, you know, there were, there were a string of good performances. John Joe Shelby, no surprise, had his best game in ages. Um, you hit that nail on the head earlier. Mankio and Lewis as fullbacks were genuine fullbacks, getting forward, causing problems. And Norman, we spoke off beforehand. You saw players covering each other because they understood the formation. They covered John Joe Shelby filling in at left back. Who does you know? Who'd have thought it? Didn't fill in very well, admittedly. But at least he was there. At least he was running. And it's it, it's so positive because of that. Now, again, I, I'd have, like have to say it doesn't fix everything. You know, I think Graham Jones, what Chris was talking about, very good. Clearly made an impact for the reasons that you talk about, Norman, in terms of that those little tweaks which can make a big difference at this level. But that was more of a continuation of what we saw for twenty five minutes at the second half against um, Leeds. There definitely does have to be questions for me. Um, questions that can only be answered by winning more games of like how the fuck do you start against Leeds like we did like that's a serious serious failure in your job as a as a coach and a manager and that coach and staff to set up like that and, and throw away that game essentially but that was then and we won this game and I don't know I'm, I'm going to open this to the floor so whoever wants to answer this one you can I'm not sure Alan St. Maximum gets in this team because if that if that is how they're going to play for now I don't think you can drop Fraser. And Almiron, which is so important to everything Newcastle did, particularly in the first half, Charlotte. Yeah, I actually I don't disagree in as in the in the first sort of in the starting eleven, but I did think that he coming on offers something. You know, yeah. I, I I think I think if we start the way we started, and and I just kind of want to um, sort of build on your point a little bit that it, it's it's. It's similar to what you've been saying for ages, Alex. It's like play the same team week in, week out, and build on what you uh, what, what you're what you're making with it. And there was only was it Mankio was the only change yesterday. 
to the team um, against Leeds, and that's that's exactly what we want to see and want to um, build on. So 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 yeah, it, it, especially with that context as well, um, maybe there isn't a place for ASM in the starting eleven. Um, having said that, he is such a joy to watch <laughs> when he came on yesterday. That little pirouette, like dancing with the ball, I just it's so entertaining and and it's so it's so nice and he clearly has so much fun that I feel like you know it's a stupid point really but like I would feel so harsh not to let him have that fun on the pitch because he clearly does but um I think the broader point is is right I think you've got to keep some consistency with your team selection you've got to let people build those partnerships you've got to um you've got to let the team grow in confidence in in that formation um which they should be able to given yesterday's performance there's so much to um to to be confident about uh, going into the palace game um so so yeah I I don't disagree with you but like sort of my heart is like oh no but he's so fun <laughs> From a very pragmatic uh, perspective, I think you're, you're right in that ASM trying to fit him in yesterday from the start of the game and play like we did might have been difficult. The reason being is that when ASM's on the pitch, it's almost like the default tactic is give the ball to ASM. So whether or not you would have got that collective performance yesterday with ASM on the pitch, I don't know. Now we know the reality Sam Maximan is an absolutely phenomenal footballer. He's, an, he's a gifted footballer. And any team in the Premier League who has him in their squad is going to want to utilise him, but barring maybe you know, two or three outrageously uh, talented so-called big clubs. But ESM is a phenomenal footballer, so you want to try and fit him in somewhere, but at the same time, it's the looking at the, the bigger picture and how we performed yesterday. It wouldn't be right, I don't think, to start ESM in the next game, although admittedly against Palace, who are going to seed a lot of possession, which means that we, we're going to have to kind of be on the front foot. We're going to have to try and control the ball. You think they'll actually put ESM on the ball. You give him lots of the ball. He can create things. What I would say is that it's either going to be, it's either going to be ESM or Fraser, right? It's either got to be one of those two ultimately, because the problem that you've got is if you put ESM in and let's see, you try and keep Fraser in, you're probably already, you're probably either dropping Army Ron or you're moving Army Ron out of position. And the reality is Army Ron yesterday was played exactly where he should be. And my fear when ESM is in the side is that Armiron is no longer the focal point. And I think that's what one of the issues we've seen since Bruce took over is that Armiron hasn't almost been trusted enough to be a focal point. And if he's playing the right position, he can be. He's a brilliant, brilliant attacking player. It's a, lo it's a lovely problem to have, the fact that ESM's fit, Fraser's fit, and um, Miguel Armiron's fit. But based on yesterday's performance, I would want to see the same team start against Palace, regardless of how much more possession we're likely to get against them. Yeah, and you are you are um, playing in Steve Bruce's hands here, saying uh, it's Fraser or ASM because it'll still allow him to say he's never been able to play them together, even yeah. though he has consistently replaced one for the other. Uh, but Norman yeah. Riley said on the True Faith podcast, "What can he do?" Is, um, I'm I'm actually going to be announced as part of Steve's coaching staff shortly um, <laughs> because I said that. Cheers. He's a. Uh, He's gone for Steve's now. He's only going for Gateshead, lads. New rule. How <laughs> long is your intro video going to be, Norman? <laughs> like an hour. Feature length. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like different scenes, different locations. Yeah, yeah. Disguises, different voices a lot, like a film. Disguises. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlotte Robson would like to talk about Callum Wilson. I'd like to write poetry about Callum Wilson. I'd like to sing his name from the rooftop. Um, Yesterday, Callum Wilson was 
exceptionally good. Um, he's just he's just what we've been crying out for. And then when our midfield worked the way that it did yesterday, and our <laughs> Norman's just written raw sexual energy. That too, um, when 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 he got the service that he that he needs to be able to to do what he can do best, he just he just he he did it. He is clinical. He's he takes the time. One thing that really impressed me yesterday, I'll, I'll talk about his first goal first. Um, Alex, you wrote on Twitter that um, Pickford um, dropped the ball totally on both goals, and people were like, "Oh, on the first one, it wasn't. It was a you know, it wasn't his fault." I disagree with them on that point because um, that was a goal from a, a corner a set piece that we had done in the first half. And he just he'd he'd saved it in the first half. He should have seen that coming. At what, it, what there was no difference to how that goal, how, how that goal happened, um, and he should have anticipated, and he didn't because he's stupid. Um, but um, but yeah, that was that was a great goal, an incredible header, just just so impressive. Um, clearly something um that's been worked on in training. And then the second goal is um, is the um, is the one for me because. He had the ball. He was totally unmarked. He took so much time over it, which is just—it was just lovely to see. There was no panic. There were there were players, Everton players, coming on him. No panic. Ha- took loads of time. Got it into position and and scored. And it was just—it was just so lovely to see after we've been subjected to Joel Linton, who clearly isn't a centre forward, but you know has been played in that position after Andy Carroll, who you know. I, I know it's 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 a, a sad thing because he's local lad and he had so much potential and all of that, but we just we haven't seen that kind of um, time taking and 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 uh, thoughtfulness about his game that we saw yesterday, and it was just so good. And 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 afterwards, when he was speaking afterwards, you know, he came, he was man of the match, and he came out and he spoke to the press, and he said, you know, I'm disappointed I didn't get a hat trick. I wish it had been more. And that's so much what you want to see from your from your strikers. This like total hunger in this, and he's right. It should have been more. That we played so well, and he played so well. It it should have been it should have been a hat trick. It should have been more goals. Um, and it's just so refreshing to me how much joy he takes from it he looked absolutely buzzing how much he wants it how much he, how how much he wants more um from it and uh and to see him you know with that with that sort of Fraser Almiron sort of either side of him and the midfield working in the way that they did so that he got the ball i was just so impressed yesterday and um and so excited really well said also, what I do like about him is that he is not affected when he misses chances. doesn't bother him. He'll just keep going. Um, whereas obviously Linton, we saw Joe Linton come in and basically he just disappears for games because he's, he's scared of missing more than he is um, excited about scoring, which is incredible. But I will slightly dispute what you said about Wilson on the corner. As much as I love to mock Jordan Pickford, the only human being whose um, body is the same proportion as a, as a Tyrannosaurus Rex's, um, I think um, Wilson... We had 12 corners, as I mentioned. And Wilson said at the end of the game, all the corners he'd been in the six-yard box, and he said he was getting no joy apart that one header that he had. But if you think of actually the proportion of corners we had, nothing was really coming of him. So he said at the end of the game, he actually made a conscious choice to move out to the penalty spot. It was his, So this was his intelligence and reading of the game, him thinking, you know what? 
this is what we've rehearsed in, in training, but I'm not getting anything. So I'm going to take the responsibility on myself to move out and I might get some joy. Lo and behold, the first corner that, that he attacks from the penalty spot, we score. So I, I agree with what you're saying about Pickford, but at the same time, I think it just shows you how, I think, incredibly intelligent and perceptive Wilson is when he's on the pitch. Yeah, I didn't... Um... I didn't mention that, but you're absolutely right. He can read the game really well. He can, he can, he can, and and part of that is the level-headedness of not being totally thrown when a chance doesn't work or or when you can't convert it. I I think you know he can sort of take. He, he seems to have like extra time in his head to just sort of take stock of what's going on and and how he might be able to impact the game. Also, Norman sent me some stats before um before we started, and I didn't say them. So for your records. Wilson has been involved in 67% of all Newcastle United Premier League goals this season and he's scored 48% of them. So can you just imagine where we'd be if we hadn't signed Callum Wilson? I mean, we'd probably already have been relegated in some kind of shock twist. Well, the the, the mad thing is is that that is a, a quite incredible stat. Um, and I think, I think, you know, even even people listening or watching on YouTube who who didn't know the stat would, would be aware of just how important he is to the side. The the thing about what would happen if he wasn't here or injured, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier about picking the right team around the system, um, is that can you imagine if, you know, if Will, the fact that Wilson's been injured and we've played like that, like you cannot bring Andy Carroll in to play, like Andy Carroll is not capable of doing what, in fact, probably the only striker that we'll have at the club is, is Dwight Gale in terms of, you know, pressing and running the channels. So it's really important that when Wilson either needs a rest or gets booked or suspended or whatever, that Bruce trusts the method or Jones trusts the method, whoever you want to attribute it to. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really care whether it's if, if if Bruce is a good manager because he's got a good assistant, Graham Jones. Fine, G- give the credit to who you want. It, you know, that's 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 football at the top level. But you're right about Wilson that he's so important. But we we have we have to build around what he provides, not. Play to Callum Wilson's strengths, then play to Andy Carroll's strengths, which would, you could argue we didn't even do by not selecting wingers. You know, and, and then even though you say Joe Linton's not a striker, Charlotte, I, like, I, I don't want to see him anywhere else now. Like, I don't think he's capable of playing anywhere. He's probably not capable of playing anywhere. That I just, just stop talking there. But if he has to be selected, that's where it needs to be. One of the things I wanted to say about Wilson is that impresses me so much, and it has since the start. Is he's so good at winning free kicks that. Fraser is very good at this as well. Get Eddie Howen straight away. Get him on the fourth, the fourth Steve, the fourth assistant coach. Um, is because that when Wilson runs the channels and has the ball in tight areas, you saw it yesterday in in Keen um, in Mina in particular. They just didn't want to touch him. They didn't want to lay a hand on him because they know he's so good at winning free kicks. It was something Rondon was very good at when he was here. And before that, Denver Bar, Alan Shearer as well, were just incredibly good at basically saying, if I've got my back to you and I have possession of the ball, you're not touching me. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to play this ball and you're going to allow me to do it because me and you both know if you come close to me, we have a free kick and attacking position. And again, you saw us able to build play. You saw link up play with Mankio and Almiron, particularly on the right-hand side when Wilson was down that channel. That really helped the team and it helped us retain possession and, what I meant uh, earlier when I said we had constant and sustained pressure, Charlotte, you hit or Norman, one of you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said when ASM's in the team and he's the focal point, it's basically like get the ball to Allen and hope something happens, and then and then we'll run back. Whereas when you're actually dominating Everton territory and you've got players in the box, it can make a big difference. It's much harder for the opposition to get out, and that's 
that's one of the most pleasing things about yesterday. And I, I think I said this on Twitter. I'm not sure. Um, even if we'd lost that game one nil yesterday, which is not outside the realms of possibility, it's, it would have still been the best performance of the season. And that that's that's what infuses me so much. And people might be watching on this and thinking, all of us here are getting too excited. But that is genuinely infusing, or it's it's a real positive that that we are capable. I don't think we're capable of that performance. I don't think we're capable of anything near that. And to, to produce it, you can kind of say Newcastle have had three excellent halves of football now. I mean, I'm being very kind to that second half against Leeds. But in terms of what preceded it, it's been really, really positive. And it's really nice. I almost got some sort of like weird out-of-body experience when at the end of the game, um, uh, Callum Wilson was brought in front of the BT Sport cameras for like the player interview. The fact that that interview was being conducted by not a defender or a goalkeeper was like, wow, this is real. <laughs> this has genuinely happened because it happens so often that... They're gonna. They, they try and pick the best player from the team, and it's either Cardolo or, or more often than not, Kieran Clark. They're the two that have come in and and wanted to and had to, to kind of say, "Oh yeah, tough game, tough run. Yeah, it was nice to make a few saves. I got a few blocks. We'll go." But again, or instead, it was Callum Wilson talking about being good at football and scoring goals. And there's nothing I like more. Norman, I've just touched on centre backs there. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about Fabian Cher. I do, mate. I um, Shea is a player that I think we've, on many occasions, expressed our uh, appreciation of, shall we say. He's a really talented footballer, and I don't necessarily mean he's an incredibly gifted defender. I'm talking about in, in terms of his ability as a player, with the ball at his feet, he can be really effective. If you look at his career as a centre-half for Switzerland, he's had a really, really successful international career. And I think there's been a almost a a myth generated that he is incapable of playing as a second centre half and a you know when there's only two, when there's only two of them. Um and you know to a certain extent he has he has had uh, you know more of his better game shall we say as part of a back five or back three however you want to look at it. But then again you could say that's because he's really been given the chance to play in a back two. Now yesterday I thought we saw a player who can comfortably play in a in a back two if he's got someone like Lascelles or Clark or Fernandez alongside him. I thought he was I thought he was excellent yesterday. And that Everton forward line is really dangerous. I thought that between him and Lascelles and him and Clark, they completely obliterated Calvert-Lewin. Calvert-Lewin was just an absolute non-entity yesterday. And I think what we get with Shears as well, and look, right, I can, I can compare Shea to Fabian Lejeune, right? He's not as good as Fabian Lejeune, I don't think. But I like this balance of having a, a hard old-school centre-half alongside a ball-playing centre-half, especially if you're kind of playing that pressing game. And Shea's ability to bring the ball out is really important. But what he did yesterday was, is he he was really useful in the box. Again, I'm going back to corners, but our corners, he made a real nuisance of himself. He is also one of our best shithouses. He's absolutely, mar- he's, a, he's brilliant at shithousery. And, you, you know, you see, you've seen it in Newcastle, but you see that um, he's done it for Switzerland as well. And, and I think uh, it's just an appreciation, really, for someone who costs three and a half million we are going to get the occasional mistake out of him defensively, but he's an excellent, excellent player. And I think that yesterday, to me, highlighted how if we play a back four, we always need to have that ball playing centre half alongside the the kind of more the more leader type centre half. So I appreciate it. And Charlotte just type Fabian Lejeune. Did I call him something different? His name's Florian. Florian. Florian <laughs> Lejeune. Apologies. <laughs> I want um, to see I think, both. 
doing their DNA and have a child of their DNA. <laughs> Fabien Lejeune and um, Florian Lejeune. Fabien Lejeune and Florian Lejeune, there you go. We should start a Kickstarter for that. <laughs> How come yeah, they're taking Lejeune's surname? <laughs> Both times. <laughs> Um, the other quick thing on uh, Fabian, Cher, Florian, Cher, whatever his name is, um, is that I think that we've seen over the last couple of games that he has moved forward with the ball, particularly in the Leeds game, but also he did it here, uh, and just working quite well with Hayden in front of him. So when Cher moves forward, Hayden covers a bit, so we've got that you know, defensive solidity still there, but allowing uh, Cher to kind of move forward. I think... One other thing just to mention quickly uh, is, if you'll allow me a slight negative uh, in this, the, the one negative from the game yesterday was the injury to Jamal Lascelles. Um, he's just come back, obviously had a couple of games, but before that was off for quite a while with the effects of COVID. So a real shame for him personally as well. But um, you know, the question of whether he will be a miss, I think we've seen, and the reason that he got a contract extension is that Kieran Clark is a very able deputy and able to um, you know, slot into that central defensive position there. So I think from that point of view, uh, and obviously we have other players besides, we do have a degree of cover, uh, even though we have loaned Lejeune out. Hopefully he'll be coming back. We'll see about that. I think the other question, and maybe slightly more concerning, is with Fernandez out, hopefully he will be back. But the question of the captaincy and where that goes, if the cells is out, and if, if Fernandez is out, who does the captaincy go to? Probably John Joe Shelby, who I think is the assistant captain. Do we necessarily want that in games where we might go behind? I think for me, there's still a question mark. Um, so yeah, hopefully the sales is back soon enough. We are stopped, but there is the question of the captaincy and who that goes to. He, I think Steve Bruce said he was going to be out for a minimum of a few weeks. It's a hamstring injury, so we won't see him for a bit. Yeah, it's a worry. Injury prone, isn't he? Jamal, you know, since the... 17-18 season really and he had a spell out in that season as well when we missed him terribly it's it's been he's, he's very rarely a bit like well not as bad as Paul Dummett but you know Dummett's just we have injury prone players ever has it been in Newcastle United I want to put you all on the spot now just because it's enjoyable and we're here to entertain um someone that you know I, I don't mind who goes first is there now hope for Steve Bruce at Newcastle United I we a lot of the people listening have been hugely critical to the extent that uh, a journalist, some might call him a Steve Bruce journalist who should be on the show next week after Southampton, reminded me last night that after the Leeds game, possibly on my YouTube video that I did, I said that should have been Steve Bruce's last game in management at any level. It's probably a react an overreaction, but I, I stand by it considering the what we've seen so far. And he has been granted another game by the gods, and he's won it very well. Who wants to go first? Then, where do we stand with all this? Answer the big question. Oh, we've got Charlotte and Norman. Uh, Charlotte, you go first, then Norman, then Chris. That's so funny at any level. That's so not even Sunday league. Not nothing for Bruce. We've seen um, enough. <laughs> he's, you're right, though. My friend Kaylee plays this game called Take Your Money and Sit Down, where like pop stars and stuff should just take your money and go away. Like you've done it now. Stop trying to make. Take your money and sit down, Steve Bruce. Um, anyway, that's by the by. Uh, is there hope for Steve Bruce? I think in terms of the senior management and the ownership of Newcastle United, certainly yes. I mean, I don't know that there, it was ever really too much, his role was ever really too much in jeopardy in terms of us as a fan base, like getting behind him and rallying behind him. Um, 
I I went on Talksport yesterday morning and I said no, like that I really can't see him redeeming himself. But yesterday's performance was so much more positive, and there was so much to build on. And maybe that is because of this new assistant coach, and maybe maybe that's going to be the thing that um that sort of uh, fixes things, or at least you know goes some way to 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 helping our season and keeping us in the Premier League. I I now think maybe like I'm 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 unlikely I never say never I'm unlikely to ever really you know think he's brilliant because we've seen 18 19 months now of um of, of Steve Bruce's coaching and I and I don't think it's good enough at this level um and I don't think it's ambitious and I don't think it's what we should have as a football club um but if but if we continue in the same vein as yesterday then I'm not against it all just carrying on for now. I want more for us. I do, but I, I don't. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Charlotte, I'm very quick with what you said, and I just want, obviously, you know, viewers to understand that I've got a, a column called "Thoughts on Bruce," um, so uh, that I printed out as well. By the way, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna frame, I'm gonna frame these and keep them for posterity. Right, Steve Bruce will, in my opinion, never get Newcastle United in the top 10, right? Now, if that happens, brilliant. This is like, you know, this is an historical moment. I can watch myself say this back many a time as I bask in the glory of finishing in the top 10 on a Steve Bruce. Eating humble pie, but enjoying it. But I don't think it'll happen, right? Um, I think that squad, and we saw it yesterday, is way more capable than the position that it's in. Whether or not Steve Bruce is the man to get that out of it on a consistent basis, I don't know, because, you know, his, his time in Newcastle would suggest that he isn't. His time as a manager prior to Newcastle suggests that he's not the person to do that. But at the same time, Steve Bruce, if he wins the next two matches, right, and they're both very winnable. Southampton were great against Villa yesterday, but the, you know, they just didn't get any luck. But they're in a bit of a, you know, they're in a bit of a slide. Let's say it's, it's how Southampton, Southampton are in general up and down. Palace won yesterday, but they've been terrible for ages. You know, they're the kind of team that you play at home and think we we should be winning this. So let's just see if Bruce wins these next two games, right? That, to me, signifies that we're not, we're not going to get relegated. It's not going to happen, right? Massive wins. Now, if Bruce doesn't get us relegated, what's his remit as a manager? His remit is to keep up, right? So he's not going anywhere, is he? That, that's the truth of the matter. He keeps us up. He isn't going anywhere. I know he's only got one year in his contract. The likelihood is if he keeps up in halfway through next season, we're in the same position. They'll give him a new contract. So Steve Bruce will not take us as far as I think he can with the squad of players that he's got. But at the same time, he's here for the foreseeable future. Therefore, I'm going to look at every single game is a, in a weird way as a one-off like I did yesterday. Yesterday was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying doing this podcast today talking about it. That's that's my limitations with ambitions on a Steve Bruce. I'll move on to the next match. You know that cliche, take one game as a game at a time. There you go. That's what it is for me right now as a fan. I think it's quite interesting that both of you have said he uh, and I think as football fans and football generally places importance on the manager as an individual. And there is still questions, as we discussed earlier, about this. But I don't know. We'll see in the next few weeks whether we're actually in a situation where it's more appropriate to say they uh, and place more importance on the collectivity of the management setup. So is Steve Bruce individually going to win me over? And does he have what it takes to succeed, air quotes, whatever that may be, at Newcastle in the medium to long term? I don't know. But I don't even know if that's necessarily the question anymore. Um, it'll be interesting to see if this kind of, if Graham Jones and this kind of slightly 
adjusted setup, and we all saw on the touchline how Graham Jones was very involved in this. Steve Bruce in the background for for portions of the game. Graham Jones playing a very active role. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the new collective coaching setup has success. And I think from what we saw yesterday, and there's a long way to go. It's one game. It's in isolation. We'll see over the next kind of um, you know, few games where we go. But I think there is potentially something in this um, if we have that kind of continuation. Yeah, and uh, I think that a lot rests on these next two games. Um, you know, Steve Bruce had a, kind of a defining 10-day um, t- ten days of his reign earlier in the season when we played all three promoted sides of Brentford and he they underperformed, they let everyone down, they they sent the season into some sort of death spiral. There's a little bit of hope after yesterday, but one of my concerns is, you know, Norman, you mentioned Southampton there. Now, the only way to beat Southampton, I think, is with a counter-press, and Bruce talked about that afterwards, capitulated down there, that that was the plan, but they conceded an early goal. You know, Bruce has always said, oh, but we'll concede an early goal. Like, the plan just has to go out the window. Um, because you can't see nearly good, like you can't possibly react to that in a positive way. So for me, you know, if I think a lot of people listen, this I could be wrong. Get in touch at TFNUFC on Twitter, um, or, or in the comments on YouTube. I still think a lot of people said Steve Bruce was to resign tomorrow or to be sacked. A lot of fans would still be absolutely delighted. It's one game. We're positive. I hope people listen are positive. We all enjoyed the game. I'm looking forward to Tuesday. That's the thing about management. That's the thing about football at the top level. You, you have to consistently perform. The players have got to do it. You know. Great point earlier, Charlotte, about Callum Wilson, about the fact that he doesn't let his head drop. He doesn't uh, start snatching at things because he hasn't scored in 10 games. It doesn't let, he doesn't affect him. Yet Steve Bruce, and Luke Edwards said it on this podcast earlier this season, doubts himself. He goes to West Ham first game of the season. Fantastic performance. Great, great win, particularly in the context of what West Ham have achieved since. Playing a very similar system to yesterday, being positive, get men, getting men ahead of the ball, getting men into the box, making tackles, playing Isaac Hayden in midfield, it lasted one more game before he shit himself and went back to the the, the comfort blanket of five at the back. Uh, so that's going to be the big one here, isn't it? It's like, if you if you play well, or even if you play badly against Palace, what does he do, then do against Holdhampton? And it, I'm, I am constantly going to be concerned, until I'm not, <laughs> that we will see a, rever- a reversion to the last 19 months, like you said, Charlotte. So... There's a very, very small body of evidence to be excited about here. And I'm getting behind it. You know, cannot wait for Tuesday. Want to see the lads do it. Fantastic. But what what we really, really need to see is, is now consistency in the team to be consistent for a long period of time. Because that would signify that Bruce is a good manager. The odd performance pulled out of his arse because, you know, the, you know, his job is literally on the line isn't sustainable. What we've seen so far under Bruce hasn't been sustainable. And really, we are still, in my opinion, in a false position in the Premier League. There are teams that have played much better than us this season that are below us in the league, Fulham and Brighton in particular, even Sheffield United possibly. Um, but 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 Bruce and his coaching staff and the players, they can change that. They have that opportunity. You saw yesterday on social media, which is not how I want to gauge things, but we're all locked down in the United Kingdom. So there is not, nothing, no other way to... to to gauge things, you saw that the the grounds full of positivity. You saw actually everyone get behind the team and the lads again, and and be really positive and happy. And that's a great thing. And what this football club fans don't ask for a lot, in my opinion. Um, 
Norman, no, you you can you can Norman's just just message with a stat for Callum Wilson. There, go on, mate. It's yours. Make it your own. All right. Well, twenty-eight shots this season, um, ten goals. Obviously, a few penalties in there, but that is ridiculous in terms of conversion. And also, again, it ties into his his self belief. He has lived off. I mean, absolute scraps this season. Like like the bare minimum. Like he's basically been living on he's been eating dust for months and like occasionally he's had a couple of bags of chips thrown in i mean that and, he, and he's and he's doing all right he just keeps gunning keeps gunning and um it, it's just testament to how good he is and and it ties in nicely to the next fanzine issue because chris shipman who was on this podcast with us um he has written an article in the next fanzine which i believe is now on sale uh, alex is that correct it, it is on sale. It's nearly sold out. Wasn't going to mention it because false, <laughs> false advertising. But um, yeah. Did you copy? Digital copy, yeah. But we've got a few copies left. It hasn't even gone on shops yet. Um, I'm posting them out Monday. The new fanzine, uh, Jurassic Bruce on the front cover. My favorite ever cover, combining uh, a terrible manager, or maybe not after Saturday, after after yesterday, um, and a fantastic film. Um, but if it has sold out by the time you listen to this online, uh, you'll be able to get a copy if you live in the great city of Newcastle upon Tyne in Eminem News at Haymarket and Centrail at Central Station. But we sell digital copies too. I, I will personally email you a PDF for just £1.50 and uh, you will support a fanzine and this podcast. Okay, it's been a pleasure, Charlotte, Chris, and Norman. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks everybody for listening or watching on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, please subscribe, please comment, please like the video, help us out on this new platform, which we're trying. And if you're listening to the podcast, thank you as well. Would love a five-star review on iTunes with a nice comment. We're not asking a lot over here, asking things constantly of listening to this podcast. But Newcastle have won. We'll play Palace on Tuesday. We'll be back Tuesday night straight after the game, as is the way midweek. We've got loads more coming this week on Patreon. Give it a go, £6 a month. Us four plus a few more. Uh, me and Norman are doing a podcast this week called Golden Oldies, where we'll talk about our favourite ever goals uh, that Newcastle have scored. Uh, we're going to have a full Palace and Southampton previews. Charlotte, you do your show on YouTube every Friday. That audio goes on Patreon as well. It looks like you want to say something. Yeah, I think I'm because it's a later kickoff. I think I'm going to do um, a pre-Palace one. I was hoping Chris would join me because it's a Southeast London and Norman, if you're free, but I don't want to put you on the spot. Southeast London special because those two are within walking distance to Selhurst Park, although nobody will be going there, and I think it's at home anyway. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to tying it in like that. So we'll be back at 7 p.m. on Tuesday. So that's 7 p.m. live on YouTube. You'll have noticed I wasn't invited to be part of that, so I'm being put in my box well and truly. Thanks for listening. Newcastle won. Enjoy your weekend, or whenever you listen to this, what day it is. Goodbye from us. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.